there is nothing worth living for unless it is worth dying for. My grandmother lived a life devoted to Jesus, and today her talks have been made available in their original form. So you too can be built up through the insights and mysteries God revealed to her throughout her ministry. Now, without further ado, here is Elizabeth Elliot. The mercy of prayer. Let's begin by praying. Father in heaven, how we thank you for your mercy and your grace and for the privilege that you give us of prayer, something about which we can do every day, something for which your ear is always open. We are grateful, Lord. And we ask you to teach us to pray. Be with us now, Lord. Anoint my tongue, my words, and may there be ears to hear and hearts to obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What a mystery and a mercy is prayer, available to all of us at any time about any subject, and his ear is always open to our cry. Archbishop Trench of England wrote this, Lord, what a change within us one one short hour spent in thy presence will prevail to make. What heavy burdens from our bosoms take. What parched grounds refresh as with a shower. We kneel when all around us seems to lower. We rise and all the distant and the near stands forth in sunny outlined, brave and clear. We kneel how weak. We rise how full of power. Why, therefore, should we do ourselves this wrong or others that we are not always strong, that we are ever overborne with care, that we should ever weak or heartless be, anxious and troubled, when with us is prayer and joy and strength and courage are with thee? Let me read those last few lines again that we should ever weak or heartless be, anxious and troubled, when with us is prayer and joy and strength and courage are with thee. And I have to confess that I I did rather more praying over this week than I've done for a while, just because we got way too crowded a schedule. We were uh, in West Virginia the beginning of the week, then we were in California, Then I was at Gordon-Conwell Seminary on Saturday, and then, of course, here yesterday and today. And I had to pray, Lord, give me strength, give me wisdom, and I had to ask forgiveness for getting such a crowded schedule, because I really don't think the Lord wants us to overdo things. But I'm very, very thankful for the privilege of being here. And just to remind all of us that with us is prayer, and joy and strength and courage are with God. Amy Carmichael wrote a poem about prayer. Teach us to pray, Lord, teach us to pray. 
not wave-like, rising, falling, like fitful clouds of spray. The mighty tides of ocean, a deeper secret know, their currents undefeated move, whatever winds may blow. In Daniel 9:18, we have a wonderful promise. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. That's the New International Version of the Bible, John 9, uh, Daniel 9.18. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. And that is so calming and so comforting to me and how I thank God that I don't have to be righteous in order to enter his presence and that he is always full of mercy. How grateful we should be. I love what Oswald Chambers said, that to the rationalist, it is ridiculous to pray to God about everything. Hiding behind this ridicule is the devil, who wants to keep us from knowing the road to take when the crisis comes. Hezekiah, in Isaiah 37, verses 14 to 20, knew the road by his prayer. And Hezekiah tells God what he knows God knows. That's really what we do when we're praying, isn't it? We're just telling God what God already knows. Chambers goes on to say, that is the meaning of prayer. I tell God what I know he knows in order that I may get to know it as he does. It is not true to say that a man learns to pray in calamities. He seldom does. He calls on God to deliver him, but he does not pray. A man only learns to pray when there is no calamity. I'm sure that many of you have visited the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. I find that so moving, that second inaugural address, which is inscribed in the Lincoln Memorial. Of course, we know that Lincoln was praying desperately about the war between the states. And this is a part of what he said. Each looked for an easier triumph and a result less fundamental and astounding. Both read the same Bible and prayed to the same God. And each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. But let us judge not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. Woe unto the world because of offenses. And then you know those beautiful words with which he closes, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations.
And some of you know the story that Amy Carmichael used to tell to her little children about when she was a little girl. She was told by adults that God answers prayer. And so at the age of three, she decided that she would test the validity of that statement. There was one thing in her life that she wanted more than anything else in the world, and that was blue eyes. <laughs> and so when she got down beside her bed one night, she prayed that God would change her dark brown eyes into beautiful blue ones. And she went to sleep perfectly confident that in the morning her eyes would be blue. She woke up with great anticipation, jumped out of bed, pushed a chair over to where she could climb up to a mirror and looked into the same old brown eyes. And she told her children, those Indian children that she had hundreds of years later, that she could not recall whether some grown-up said this to her or whether God himself spoke these words. But somehow it came to her, isn't no an answer? We very, very often hear people say, God never answers my prayers. Well, God always answers our prayers. The truth is that very often the answer has to be no or something quite different from what we ask. But many years later, it was very clear to Amy Carmichael that God knew exactly what he was doing because there were times in India when her literal physical life was in danger. But because she had dark hair and always wore the Indian sari, she could pass as an Indian. If she had had blue eyes, of course, it would have been a dead giveaway from many feet away. And so her life was actually spared several times because God had said no to that childish prayer. And the same must be true for all of us. We have asked God many times for things which God has said no about. Sometimes we hammer away on God's door and get quite angry with him because he hasn't done what we wanted him to do. But God's way is always better than ours, and God knows more, far more about what we need than we do. So let's think about the fact that him to whom we come, he to whom we come, is the Lord of the universe, the maker of all things, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise, as one of the hymns puts it. He's our father. He is our refuge. And we are to worship him in humility and silence. How should we come? Well, as just a little child, utterly dependent, ignorant, expecting. And we ask, according to the words of Jesus, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the Lord taught his disciples to ask for the things that they needed. So they make their petitions. We are permit permitted to make our petitions to God. It's a good idea to start wherever we are. If you're a child, if you're a new Christian, if you really haven't done very much praying, never mind about that. God will understand exactly what you're trying to say. And he told his disciples that we should pray, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Remember that God already knows what you're going to ask and he waits for us 
to ask. And he tells us to ask. And then there is confession, forgive us our trespasses or our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. And that really is a staggering thing to say when we are telling God that we will forgive this person who trespassed against us and we expect God to forgive us in exactly the same measure that we have been willing to forgive this person who perhaps has done us in. Maybe it's the one who walked off with your wife, the man who embezzled your money and ruined your business, your next door neighbor who encroaches on your property. Stop and think before you pray those words, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. Because if all we can receive from God is the same measure as that which we are offering to the person who has trespassed against us, it may not be enough. It will not be enough grace from God if we have not honestly and earnestly forgiven that person who trespassed against us. And then there's intercession, the privilege of praying for other people. We need to intercede, for example, for the thousands of Christians who are being martyred in today's times. 400 per day, we're told, are killed for the name of Christ. We do not know what to ask, but we bear their names, we bear their tribes, perhaps, on our bosoms before him. As Aaron, I always think, often think of how Aaron wore the breastplate on his garments before he went into the holy place. And on those breastplates were engraved the names of the tribes of Israel. And so as he went and stood before the Lord, he was presenting these to him. When I get down on my knees in the morning, alone in my study, I have very long lists of people that I pray for. There's one list that's in my head that I pray for every day, and it seems to get longer and longer. And then I have lists, which are for each day of the week. And it's a wonderful thing to me to realize that the truth of the old of the hymn that says, as o'er each continent and island, the dawn brings on another day. The voice of prayer is never silent, nor die the strains of praise away. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that there's never a moment when prayer is not rising to God somewhere? And of course, when I, since we live on the East Coast of the United States, I think of people on the other side of the world. And as I'm getting up, they're going to bed. But as on each continent and island, the dawn brings on another day. The voice of prayer is never silent, nor die the strains of praise away. So I am one solitary woman praying alone in a little room. But that solitary prayer is carried up into heaven and takes its part in the great orchestra of heaven and of the whole earth throughout all the world so that together we are praying. That should 
really help us to see how important it is to pray, to join our voices together with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, not to mention all the company here on earth. What a privilege it is to pray. Now, I just love C.S. Lewis and Oswald Chambers because they were so down to earth and sensible and they say just exactly the sorts of things that I wish I had had the brains to think of saying, but I wouldn't have been able to think of it this way, and I probably wouldn't have had the courage to say it, even if I had been able to think it, but this is what Lewis said. He said, prayer is not a game or a sport. Nobody is an, exer is an expert. It's work, it's concentration, and very often it's irksome. We are reluctant to begin and delighted to finish. Am I ringing any bells out there? I would ask how easily can you be distracted from a novel that you happen to be reading or from your favorite TV program, especially if it happens to be football or something like that. Not too easy to be distracted from things like that, is it? But from prayer, our, our adversary, the devil, knows very well how easy it is for him to distract us from prayer. And C.S. Lewis quotes somebody else. I don't think he gave the name of the other person, but he said, many a Christian prays faintly lest God might really hear him, which he never intended. Many a Christian prays faintly lest God might really hear him, which he never really intended. There are many things which ought to be a delight, such as prayer, which have to be duties, such as love your neighbor. That is a clear command from the Lord. Do those things for which we were created. Now let's think about some of the impediments to prayer. Sin. If we are regarding sin in our hearts, the scripture says, the Lord will not hear us. Evil in ourselves, lack of love for someone else. The worse one is praying, the longer one's prayers take, but we are still only at school. That's C.S. Lewis again. Now I think there are some things that it's a good thing for us not to pray about. Moods, for example. We excuse ourselves from things that we really ought to take ourselves by the scruff of the neck and do something about. And if we're a moody type of person or if we find ourselves sinking into some sort of a mood, I don't think we need necessarily to go directly to prayer but just simply take ourselves by the scruff of the neck and say, don't do it. I don't have a right to be moody. Then, of course, we don't need to pray about matters which are unequivocal. We can't mistake the truth of God. And so if God has forbidden something, we don't need to pray about whether we should do it or not. It's one of those things which we simply have to obey. The Lord does give us the privilege of bringing our requests to him. And I'm so grateful for that because that means that whatever my list may be, 
I can bring this as the raw material before the Lord, and he knows exactly what to do with it. I think of how desperately we five wives prayed back in 1956 when we knew that our five husbands were going into very dangerous territory. We knew about the Alka Indians. We had heard about them for years. But many years had gone by, and the pilot, Nate Saint, who served all of our jungle stations in Ecuador, had flown hundreds of times over the Amazon rainforest in the general area where he knew that the Alka Indians lived. But never once did he discover any inhabited houses. Occasionally, he would find abandoned houses. But on one day, back in 1955, of October of 1955, Nate St. flew into our station with a very exciting piece of news. He had discovered the whereabouts of the Alka Indians. And so it was with tremendous enthusiasm that he described to Jim what he would like to do. He said, I would like to drop gifts to these people, make regular flights over a period of time over these houses and drop some gifts each time so that they might realize that there are some good white men and that we're not here to slaughter them or eat them. And so he said to Jim, would you be willing to participate in what he wanted to call Operation Alka? Well, I don't think it took Jim three seconds mm -hmm. to say, would I? Of course I would. And so for a period of 15 weeks, that's what they did. Jim took turns with Ed McCulley, another jungle missionary. One would fly with Nate. Nate did the flying, and the other man would let go the parachutes and the streamers with the gifts attached that were dropped to these people. And so day, week after week went by, each time it looked as though the Alcas were getting more and more friendly and making more and more gestures, come down, come down. In fact, they built a little eight by eight bamboo platform about six feet off the ground, hoping that the airplane would come and sit down on that. They had absolutely no idea, of course, what it takes for an airplane to land. But over those, over those weeks, you can imagine the praying that we wives were doing, thinking that it was indeed dangerous territory. Things might work out beautifully, but they might not. And so we prayed. And our prayer was request, legitimate request, that God would bring back our husbands safely. Well, you know the rest of the story. The day came when they felt that it was God's time to go into the edge of Alka territory, set up a camp, and wait for the people to come to them. They didn't want to offend them by barging directly into the Alka houses. And so they set up a camp. Three, four, I guess it was four whole days went by, and nothing happened. They prayed and prayed that God would bring the Alkas to them. And it was very boring, and there were a lot of mosquitoes, and it was hot, and it the days crept by very, very slowly. But on the fifth day, suddenly there was a shout from the other side of the river, and out came three Alcas, two women and one man, all of them dressed in the regulation Alca costume, which was a piece of string around their hips. And it looked as though everything was going to be wonderful. They stayed the whole day. They ate lemonade, drank lemonade, and ate hamburgers with ketchup and mustard, if you can imagine, people that have never seen a piece of bread or anything like the food that the men were giving them. They ate it 
as if they had perfect confidence in these people. And of course, we wives were thrilled to receive the radio message that they had had a friendly contact. But then, two days later, they were speared to death. And you can imagine how many times I have pondered the wisdom of God, the marvels of the ways in which God engineers everything that he wants to happen in the world. And just to take one tiny example of part of the why that God allowed that. We, of course, thought many, many times, why did God allow them to have what appeared to be a friendly contact, to spend all those weeks in dropping gifts, and then to be speared to death? Well, I had a letter from a lady in Memphis, a shut-in, who had known Jim Elliott. Her name was Ruth Hyde. And she sent me this little story. An admiral in the Navy, stationed in Italy, read the life edition of the martyrdom. Several weeks later, in an accident at sea, he was out on a life raft. Suddenly, Jim's words came back to him. When it comes time to die, make sure that all you have to do is die. He realized that he was not at all ready to die, and he prayed that he would be saved. They were rescued. And when he got back to his home, a book was waiting for him from a Christian friend of Miss Hyde. Hyde. The admiral wrote him about his experience, and the friend had the opportunity to bring this man to Christ. Now just think of all the things that God engineered, and of course we only know the tiniest particle of them. But over all the world, and still to this day, I receive letters from people whose lives have been changed because of the testimony of those five men. If they had not been killed, it's very unlikely that very many people would have ever heard of them. But it's just another one of those illustrations that God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. As the hymn says, he plants his footprints in the sea and rides upon the storm. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. I think of prayer as an absolute transfer of my will to God. An absolute transfer of my will to God. I am allowed to pray what I want to pray, but the bottom line, I think, should always be, Lord, whatever you say, do anything you want with me, do anything you want with these prayers, do anything you want with these people for whom I pray, and let God decide what to do. Now, I have here seven reasons why God says no. For those of you who've been wondering, is she ever going to give us any outlines here? I do like to give you something that you might be able to follow. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Number one, one reason that God says no is for the sake of others. And I have just given you one in, in illustration. That man on that raft, the words of Jim Elliot came back to him. When it comes time to die, make sure that all you have to do is die. 
Of course, when it came time for Jim to die, that's all he had to do. He was prepared. But that man knew that he wasn't. So, for the sake of that man, and only God knows how many others, God said no to our prayers, the widow's prayers. The answer was no. And to give you a scriptural example, what about the Apostle Paul? A man who went through floggings and shipwreckings and imprisonment and hunger and cold and thirst and nakedness and the care of all the churches, he survived all of those things, and then God gave him this tiny little thorn that just needled him, and he prayed desperately that God would remove that thorn. And God said, no. He said, my grace is all you need, for power comes to its full strength in weakness. So Paul learned the great lesson, and he said, Most gladly, therefore, shall I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest on me. And so you and I can benefit by those wonderful words, My grace is sufficient for you. Because Paul was given a thorn. We wouldn't have had those words, which every one of us has probably needed at some point or other. My grace is sufficient for thee, for power comes to its full strength in weakness. So God says no for the sake of other people. For Christ on the cross, what if Christ had been able to come down from the cross? God said no. God said no to my prayers that Jim would come back alive. God said no to the removal of Paul's thorn. Number two, God says no for his glory among his people. Moses was never allowed to enter into the promised land because he had disobeyed God. And so for God's glory among his people, Moses had to be punished. Number three, God says no because he has something better for us. Now, if you stop and think back to, let's say, your junior high school days, you women, can you remember that boyfriend that you had in junior high school? And you wept and cried over him because all of a sudden he dropped you and he went for somebody else. And you may have prayed about that. And I can remember praying when I was in the sixth grade that Bob Held would like me. <laughs> and I think now, what the mercy of God that he didn't allow that to happen. God's no's are merciful. He knows what's good for us. And Jesus uses the illustration of a father. Is, who, is he going to give his child a scorpion if the child asks for an egg? Is, is he going to give him a stone if he asks for bread? God says no because he has something better. Number four, God says no because we are harboring sin in our lives. Psalm 66, 18 says, if we harbor sin in our lives, the Lord will not hear us. Number five, we are not asking in his name. And you can look, at, look that up in James 4, verses 1 to 4. 
we are not asking in his name. We're asking sometimes for our own glory, nothing to do with God's will or his glory. We think we're in harmony with the will of God. But in hindsight, we can look back and say, thank you, Lord, for not allowing that prayer to be answered the way we wanted it to be. Number six, for reasons of his own, which are none of our business, and I think there are a lot of things under that heading, there are a whole lot of things that are really none of our business. When Gladys Aylward, that tiny little woman, the London parlor maid who went to China as a missionary, told in the story that I heard her tell with her own lips back in 1967, I think it was. She told how when she was a little girl, she had two great sorrows. One, that when all her friends were still growing, she said, I stopped. And when all my friends had beautiful golden hair, mine was black. As you know the story, she went all the way across Europe and Russia and Siberia and China and she ended up on the wharf in Shanghai with her one suitcase. And she said, I stood on the wharf in Shanghai and I looked around to all the people to whom Jehovah God had sent me. And every single one of them had stopped growing when I did. <laughs> and every single one of them had black hair. And I said, Lord God, you know what you're doing. <laughs> For reasons of his own, which we need not know. And then number seven is in order to lead us not into temptation. It's God's business to keep us out of temptation. But sometimes we disobey him and we walk straight into it. So be grateful when God says no, because he may have known that there was some tremendous temptation that would destroy you. And so he says no about that one, in order to lead us not into temptation. Charles H. Brent, back in the 19th century, wrote, prayer is not so much the means whereby God's will is bent to man's desires, as it is that whereby man's will is bent to God's desires. Prayer is not so much the means whereby God's will is bent to man's desires, as it is that whereby man's will is bent to God's desires. And I love the story of St. Augustine. I trust that many of you have read the Confessions of St. Augustine or St. Augustine, whichever way you want to pronounce it. It's such a beautiful story of his mother, Monica. And Monica wept buckets of tears. She, she said she watered the ground with her tears as she prayed for this very wayward, wicked son of hers. He had grown up as a very evil man. And she prayed and prayed and prayed for his salvation. And it looked as though God was saying no over and over again. And she wept and she cried and her, prayer, her tears watered the ground. And in the Confessions of St. Augustine, he says, O oh God, thou showest it neither to, me, to me nor to my mother, who grievously bewailed my journey and followed me as far as the sea. 
But I deceived her, holding me by force, that either she might keep me back or go with me, and I feigned I had a friend whom I could not leave till he had a fair wind to sail. Augustine was determined that he was going to sail off with his friend and he was going to go to Rome. Of course, he lived in Carthage and his mother was absolutely convinced that Rome was the wickedest city in the world. And so it was with desperation that she prayed that God would not permit her son to get on that ship. He said, I lied to my mother and such a mother and I escaped for this also hast thou mercifully forgiven me, preserving me though full of execrable defilements from the waters of the sea for the water of thy grace. Whereby when I was cleansed, the streams of my mother's eyes should be dried with which for me she daily watered the ground under her face. And yet refusing to return without me, I scarcely persuaded her to stay the night in a place where there was an oratory, a place for prayer near the ship that he was going to, to embark on. And during that night, he tells us that he sneaked away, got onto the ship, but she was still weeping and praying for him. And what, O Lord, was she with so many tears asking of thee, but that thou wouldst not allow me to sail, but thou in the depths of thy counsels, and hearing the main point of her desire, regardest not what she then asked, that thou mightest make me what she always asked. What she was asking God was that he not sail to Rome. And yet God was allowing him to sail to Rome. And he says, the wind blew and swelled our sails and withdrew the shore, withdrew the shore from her. And she on the morrow was there frantic with sorrow and with complaints and groans filled thy ears who didst then disregard them. While through my desires thou wert hurrying me to end all desire and the earthly part of her affection to me was chastened by the scourge of sorrows. And then he goes on to say that the thing that she was asking most for, God had to say no to in order that he could say yes to the thing that she wanted more than everything, anything else, which was that he would become a Christian. And it was when he went to Rome that he became a Christian. There may be some mothers here today who to this evening who are worried about your teenage sons or your older sons wondering if they're ever going to come back to the Lord. Well, pray and weep and see what God might not do. And he ends with this, Thou everywhere present heardest her where she was and where I was, and thou hadst compassion upon me. Yea, thou wert at hand, and wert hearing and doing in that order, wherein thou hadst determined before that it should be done. Thou regardest not what she then asked, in order that thou mightest make me what she always asked. So you never know by what circuitous roots God may be working on the answer to your prayers in unimaginable ways. He always answers us, Amy Carmichael said, in the deeps, never in the shallows 
of our souls. And I want to end with this anonymous statement. I cannot say our if I live only for myself, our Father. I cannot say Father if I do not endeavor each day to act like his child. I cannot say who art in heaven if I am laying up no treasure there. I cannot say hallowed be thy name if I am not striving for holiness. I cannot say thy kingdom come if I am not doing all in my power to hasten that wonderful event. I cannot say thy will be done if I am disobedient to his word. I cannot say on earth as it is in heaven if I will not serve him here and now. I cannot say give us this day our daily bread if I am dishonest and seeking things by subterfuge. I cannot say forgive us our debts if I harbor a grudge against anyone. I cannot say lead us into temptation if I deliberately place myself in the path of temptation. I cannot say deliver us from evil if I do not put on the whole armor of God. I cannot say thine is the kingdom if I do not give the king the loyalty due him from a faithful subject. I cannot attribute to him the power if I fear what men may do to me. I cannot ascribe to him the glory if I'm seeking honor only for myself. And I cannot say forever if the horizon of my life is bounded completely by time. Think about that when you pray the Lord's Prayer. Each phrase should give us pause to examine our hearts, to see how willing we are to conform to what those words really mean. And John Ruskin wrote, Do not punish me, I beseech thee, by granting that which I wish or ask, if it offend thy love. May God give us a new understanding of the privilege of prayer and teach us to pray. God bless you. I pray you've been encouraged and inspired by what you've heard today and will keep joining us here and on social media for my granny's inspiration. Until then, remember, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Thank you.